Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Hey folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Calling us from Ohio, we have Lori Cooper on the phone. Lori's father was a Columbus, Ohio police officer, correct? Correct. Uh, Lori, first of all, thanks for joining us on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. My gosh, thank you so much for having me, Jay. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. This is an interesting story on many different counts. Uh, I was approached by Lori. First of all, her father was a, uh, a highly decorated, highly touted, highly prospected college football player who, instead of opting to go to the NFL, went to do police work. Where was he playing college football at? The University of Tennessee. So he was a volunteer. Correct. And back, uh, what year was that that he left uh, college? In the mid-60s, he had graduated from high school uh, in 1960, having earned, Jay, about 79 full-ride football scholarships to, yeah, the schools with the best universities. university football programs that existed. Now, so do you he really remember, had a choice to go anywhere. Do you remember what position he played? He played three positions. He played uh, running back, punter, and kicker. Wow. So, yeah. This is back in the day when NFL players, it wasn't a career like it is now. I've met a lot of former NFL players in Baltimore. They all had off-season jobs. They're car salesmen. They worked in restaurants. A lot of them were concrete finishers, and they couldn't survive off what they made in the NFL. Correct, correct. It's a totally different time. Absolutely, and and several of his classmates actually went on to play professional football in the NFL. And no, you're absolutely right. They did not make the money that they certainly make now. So many of them actually you know, left the NFL and had to find those kinds of jobs that you just described. Yeah, they didn't have benefits. They didn't have a lot of things that they have nowadays. Not at, 
not at all. And and what I found fascinating is your dad left football and said, I, instead, I wanted to be a police officer. And where did he serve? For the Columbus, Ohio Division of Police. And it was something that he just felt, Jay, you know, um, that was really part of his DNA and something that he had, you know, as a calling that he had to fulfill. So he joined the Columbus Division of Police. They were recruiting, and he made all the you know the cuts, and he uh, graduated from the academy in 1965. So wow. that's yeah. This is going way back, and it one is. of the things, by the way, you know, I would like to think that your dad was an oddity, and that he left football and went to work in police work, and really he's not. I did a little research. There were quite a few that did a lot of them especially when her career was over went into police work i worked with a guy in baltimore who left college he was a, a highly touted defensive back for indiana university he was all american and for many different reasons he left college before his career is over and became a police officer and he was a great police officer a great guy and I remember talking to this guy, going, dude, you need to try to take a walk on for like the Redskins or the Ravens or someone nearby. He's like, right. he explained to me, you know, the kind of training you have to do to be football shape compared to police shape. It's night and day difference. But your dad opted for police work and he's a family guy. Obviously, you're his daughter. Uh, was am. it a shock to his, your mom when he said, hey, I want to be a cop? Yes. Um, you know, my, my whole, whole family then, of course, I, you know, had, had just been born. And so, yeah, my whole extended family was, was actually shocked. Um, they assumed that he would go on and play for the Detroit Lions, which I think one of his high school classmates and college, um, buddies, you know, had gone to play for somewhere, you know, likely close, you know, in proximity to, to Columbus, Ohio. So yes, my whole fam, my whole family was was shocked but having said that they also were extremely proud that if he was going to do anything else jay to be a law enforcement officer certainly um you know came with it the you know the the incredible badge of of courage to serve and protect so they were really happy about it and how long was he on the job total from start to finish 25 years Unfortunately, I, I read online your dad passed away a few years ago as a result of a stroke, I believe. He did. He passed away in 2013 from a massive stroke on his left side, which is where he sustained his gunshot injury and all the subsequent surgeries that he had. So at the time, doctors you know, explained to me that likely you know, his massive stroke um, could have, you know, I use those, those qualifiers, could have been related back to and probably likely was related back to his original shooting injury and all the metal that was inserted and implanted in his body to try to, you know, repair him and make him one again. How old is he when he passed away? He was 71, Jay. Okay. First of all, I want to say my condolences to you and your family. My father passed away many years ago from lung cancer and my wife's father passed away, her mother passed away recently, and we talk about this quite often. It doesn't get easier, I, I just get more used to it. There's not a day that goes by where I wish I couldn't pick up the phone and say, hey dad, what's going on, and talk, so I, I don't I think agree. I don't think it's really an issue of time that passes, because it's just, 
it settles on you like a very uncomfortable thing that you just become more accustomed to. I, I totally agree with you. I still find that even after seven years, occasionally I want to go to the phone, you know, and sometimes almost do, to pick it up and call him, you know, to ask him for a piece of, you know, of, of advice. And then I have to stop myself. So you're right. Time really doesn't necessarily, you know, take, take care of that void. He was shot in a line of duty, and you said he had multiple steel rods, screws, plates put in, uh, and multiple surgeries, and you believe that that shortened his lifespan. Absolutely, without a doubt. 71, while when I was 18, seemed ancient, now it doesn't seem very old, and the average life expectancy, I think, for men is right around 78, something like that. Growing up in a police family, how would you say that has affected and shaped you? Is it shaped you in a positive way, or you become like jaded as a result of what happened with your dad? No, 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 no. I, I think it's had an, an entirely large influence on who I am as a person today. You know, I have been guided, really, towards you know, organizations that now I'm a part of, and it, 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 it's become really a, a purpose and, and a passion for me, Jay. So, On that note, yeah. we are going to take a short break. We are talking with Lori Cooper, daughter of police officer Nikki Cooper. Uh, this is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Back to our conversation with Lori Cooper on the Law Enforcement Today Show. If you are just joining us, Lori is the daughter of Police officer Nikki Cooper from Columbus, Ohio, who passed away several years ago, result of a stroke. And from what you said, Lori, as a result of injuries received and multiple surgeries from being shot. Let's go back. About how old were you when your father was shot in the line of duty? I was nine years old, exactly, Jay. Do you remember back that far, or do you remember that time period? I remember the night as if it were yesterday. The funny thing is, I, I think back and I go, I don't remember anything back then. Uh, and then all of a sudden I get random flashes, but I would think that if something this traumatic happened, that it would be vivid in my mind. Take us back to how you found out about what happened to your dad. We were a family that listened to the, to the police radio regularly. So actually what happened was we heard the, in Columbus, you know, an officer in trouble call is a 10-3. I knew all the police codes when I was about five. So we heard the 10-3 call, telephone rings, our neighbor behind us comes barreling through our back door, our neighbor across the street comes barreling through our front door, and pretty soon I look up and there are two police officers at the front door. So it you know, wasn't difficult to discern that it was my father who had been shot. Did you hear what was happening, or did you find out the details of what happened to him later on? No, I heard what was happening over the police radio. I just didn't know that it was he who had been shot. We knew that he was working that area that night, but you know, so were a lot of uh, other officers. So I, you know, I wasn't sure. My mom wasn't sure. 
but it it was only within moments that the telephone rang, you know, and folks just started barreling through doors, and then officers were appearing at our, our front door. From your knowledge of what happened, tell us how your dad was shot and injured. My dad was shot in the commission of trying to help 10 families who were victims of three men, a small band of residential burglars, breaking into homes, whether or not folks were, you know, occupying their homes or not. And he stumbled upon two of them in, you know, their attempt to burglarize a home. And one of them ran and a foot pursuit ensued. And then the man turned around and shot him with a nine millimeter at point blank range. Wow. Where was your dad hit? He was, thankfully, with his athletic skill, he had the wherewithal to turn his torso or else he would have taken one in the chest and that would have been it. But he turned his torso and so he took it in the arm above the elbow, which you know in you know, your police career having been a sergeant, that's a that's a you know, death sentence. You know, you get a, a, an injury above the elbow and or at the elbow and you're done. You're history. So how bad were his injuries? Shattered. His arm was barely hanging on. So I mean literally you know, it's by skin and cartilage and all of those things. Um, so that's why he was in the hospital for well over a month, and they did many, many grafts, bone grafts, to try to put his arm back together and kind of, you know, 1972, make him like the bionic man, you know, right. so to speak, yeah. Well, back in 1972, I've been, I've had a lot of guests on the show that uh, have talked about how the use of an emergency tourniquet while they're on the job saved their life, and we never had tourniquets back in the 80s and 90s that police were, at least the department I worked in, and in the 70s, I'm sure that was not an issue where your dad was in Ohio either. No, they had no tourniquets. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. No, and and as a matter of fact, they wore those uniforms, Jay. You know, the real heavy dress, I think they called them Class A uniforms, the, the big heavy pea coats, you know, that were double-breasted, yeah. and so... No, tourniquets, no, not n- not at all. But, uh, you know, through even his heavy, you know, wool, outer, you know, Class A pea coat, you know, nothing nothing is going gonna, is gonna to stave off, you know, a 9-millimeter, um, you know, at point-blank range. So yeah. Those things, a, by the way, we were issue. issued those, we called them reefers in Baltimore. We had the great big heavy wool coats, yeah. big double-breasted ones, the old school. Yeah. And we look back at the 70s and 60s and, and early 80s, you'd see a lot, of, a lot of departments started transitioning away from that. We were slow. And we always said those things were great for keeping you warm until they got wet. And then, then you weighed like 30 more pounds just in oh, their coat. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. They were just, then, but they were thick. They were very, very thick. Oh, yeah. At, and then add 30 pounds of you know additional armor you know onto them. <laughs> and so your dad was actually chasing a guy that was a, a burglar slash home invader who was armed Correct. in a foot pursuit, wearing all Correct. that gear and that heavy Correct. winter uniform. Correct. And the guy turned around, squared off, and engaged your dad in a gunfight. Correct. So he was hit in the arm. And this is one of the things I take great exception to. People seem to think, judging from what they see in being produced by Hollywood, meaning television, movies, whatever, that arm wounds aren't fatal. That there's an artery that runs through your arm. If you hit that thing, quite often, you're not going to make it to the hospital. Quite often, you're going to bleed out before you even get an ambulance there. 
So the fact that he took a round in the arm, shattered his arm, could have been life-threatening and life-ending. Absolutely, and it makes me crazy, Jay. It does. Still to this day, when people say, oh, you know, this officer was just wounded in the arm. Well, you hit the, the nail on the head. No, he wasn't just wounded in his arm. That potentially could be a life-threatening injury, and my dad's was. Yeah, one of the things also that, that, and the news media doesn't really cover this at all. They'll say, the good news is the officer will survive. The injuries aren't life-threatening. And that's Again. it. And then Again. they don't, and they don't talk about the physical devastation that an officer oh. like your dad went through, makes, and the months crazy. of recuperation. It makes me crazy because, you know, those are mere hospital statuses, Jay. Yeah. When you when we get news accounts that an officer's been shot and taken a, a, a line of duty, you know, shooting injury, and they say the hospital or excuse me, the officer is in good condition. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's not. He's not ever going to be the same. And likely, again, that that's a hospital status. You know, they know that perhaps they're going to be able to, you know, ensure that that officer lives. But that's it. That that's the extent of it. And did your dad have catastrophic lifelong injuries as a result of this? Absolutely. That's the other thing that really bothers me. That they don't account for the long-term disabilities of what happens. And we got some really insane things to talk about with Lori that you are not going to believe. We're going to talk about when we return from a break. There are officers back then and officers today that survive horrific injuries from being shot. Absolutely horrific. And while there are much more protections nowadays than there used to be, there's still officers right now who get shot, who survive, and they don't get the protections. They want to lose their job. Or they wind up being retired on Social Security disability and their family loses everything. We're going to talk about some of that. And we're really going to focus on the bizarre effects of the case about the guy who shot Lori's father. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Back to our conversation with Lori Cooper on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Lori, if you're just joining us, is the daughter of police officer Nikki Cooper, 
Nikki uh, from Columbus, Ohio Police Department was a, was a highly touted football player, played for University of Tennessee, multiple positions, gave up a career in the NFL to become a police officer. And back in, what year was it that uh, he was shot? 1972. 1972. I hate to tell you where I was in 1972. <laughs> I was starting high school. Oh, my gosh. It's like, I, a, I feel like an old man. Just, well, it uh, feels like a lifetime ago, and yet does. at the same time, it feels like yesterday. So, so for those just joining us, there were a, a group of suspects that were doing home invasion slash burglaries. Lori's father, Nikki, wound up pursuing one of the suspects. The guy opened fire with a 9mm, striking Nikki's father in the arm, and he survived. You said it shattered his arm above the elbow, correct? Correct. And how long was he in the hospital? He was in the hospital roughly for anywhere between like 40 and 45 days, Jay. About how many surgeries did he have, do you remember? Well, at the time, gosh, um, over those 45 days or so, I would say probably, I don't know, maybe 8 or 10, and then in the ensuing year, about the same. So, let's say anywhere from 16 to to 20 surgeries total. Absolutely. And you said prior to the break that this left lifelong catastrophic injuries. It did. He was able to continue working for the police department. I'm sure they gave him um, some special duty type status, but he was able to complete his career and retire. Yes, he was. Not to the degree that he wanted, however. Right. You know, my dad My dad wanted to be, you know, he wanted nothing but to be a Surrey, you know, patrol officer. And so his, you know, his career was cut short there. And, and sadly, he passed away as a result of a stroke uh, several years ago. We were talking earlier about how Hollywood just doesn't get it right. The newspaper doesn't get it right. The news media doesn't get it right. How, how difficult was it for your dad and your family and the whole rehabilitation process for him finding the new normal for him and his family afterwards it's terrible you know he had to learn how to button his shirt again you know uh, use a fork and a knife you know and, and and cut food things that we take for granted tie his shoes you know those are just some of the basic things that i can think of off the top of my head that were extremely frustrating for him you know seeing him just kind of you know go downhill um and not be that, you know, adrenaline junkie that he was as a really, really good law enforcement officer was very difficult on us. Uh, not to mention all the surgeries and his whole left side was just obliterated. You know, I mean, trying to take bone from his shin and his hip and, you know, every place that they could on his left side to reconstruct his left arm was extremely difficult. So uh, it took on a completely different change in, in, in our world. It turned everything upside down. And how would you say he did and fared mentally afterwards? I would say not well. Although I will say this, he masked it rather well. Um, he just became a completely different person, very quiet. My dad was always very outgoing, an extrovert, a jokester, a prankster. And he lost a lot of that, Jay. You know, I think that his soul was a bit tortured through, you know, throughout everything that he had had gone through, and and rightfully so. I agree 100. percent There there are these catastrophic incidents that happen to people, especially when, from our point of view, from law enforcement officers and first responders, same with military veterans. So many of them experience. 
just absolutely horrific things, and, and it changes them. One of the best absolutely. explanations I was given from a guest a long time ago is that when you go into police work, they issue you, uh, this is a, kind of a, an analogy, they issue you a top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art backpack, and every call you go on, you want to picking up a stone and putting that backpack. Some are really big, some are not so big, and some are tiny pebbles. And eventually, that backpack gets overloaded, and the, the, it shatters, and it destroys the person carrying it. Now, for your dad, he went through one of the most horrific things anybody could go through in law enforcement. He survived it. He stayed in the fight because I understand that he wound up shooting the other guy. He did. He was able to return fire and get off a shot uh, to, you know, to the suspect. One of the, the one of the first things audience. we were always taught was no matter how bad the odds, no matter how bad the situation, always stay in the fight. And that right there is huge on his part. So he paid a heavy price, and your family did too. How, how was family life after that? Family life, family life was very difficult. My dad had been a family man all the way. We, we would, <laughs> so silly, it sounds so, so silly, but his thing was, Every four years, he bought a new new station wagon, and it was always in anticipation of the one family vacation that we could afford to go on every year, and that was the state of Florida. So we would look we would look forward every year to to traveling to Florida, and then eventually, you know, the station wagons went away, and the family vacations went away, and he became a completely different person. Again, like I said, quiet, didn't really discuss this very much, um, just changed his whole life, and. The overflow then, you know, consequently changed ours as well. I hate to hear that, but the reality is it's not often that we have, and they all lived happily ever after, which, by the way, is something else that gets me really ramped up when I watch these Hollywood movies uh, because that's not real life for people like your dad and your family. Now, this gunfight with the suspect, and I really don't believe in giving their names on the air. The main reason, I'll be honest with you, Lori, is I hate giving publicity of any type to someone who commits a, an act of violence against someone else. So if you want to, that's up to you. No, I understand. Uh, when this gunfight erupted, your father shot him. Your father was rushed to the hospital. What happened to the bad guy? Well, they wound up um, placing him about three doors down from my father in the same hospital under police guard. If you can imagine that, nobody nobody gave my dad a police guard, but they gave him a police guard. Eventually, then he was released. He was released on an OR bond. He was allowed to take up residency at a state. His injuries were such. Hold that on, he hold retired. on. He was yeah. he was arrested for shooting a police officer. He's yes, released sir. on his own recognizance. Yes, Jay. And then he was allowed to leave the state. That's correct. Well, before he'd been tried. That's correct. Was he, like, going through serious physical rehabilitation or something? Is that the reason why? he was indicted while he was in the hospital by a grand jury on 14 felony accounts, okay, including the intentional, you know, shooting of my father, the the carrying a a concealed weapon, and all the burglaries that had taken place. But uh, why he was allowed out on an OR bond is still a mystery why he was allowed to take up residency in Lexington, Kentucky is still a mystery. And yes, he did go through, we're not certain who negotiated this either, but he did go through an extensive rehabilitation program that was inpatient 
in, in eventually in Cleveland. And so then he was taught, you know, how to live again a full life. And he did, and he drove off the parking lot of that facility never to come back to Columbus, Ohio again to stand trial on that 14-count felony indictment. This is where it gets absolutely crazy and difficult to believe. If if you were seeing this on television, you'd probably say it's too far-fetched to be reality. But the reality is the man who shot her father, Lori's father, police officer, Nikki Cooper, was released on his own recognizance, was allowed to leave the state, was indicted on multiple felonies, and when we return, we're going to talk about how he never stood trial for attempted murder of her officer father. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Lori Cooper calling us from Ohio. Uh, just a brief recap. Lori's father, police officer Nikki Cooper, uh, highly touted NFL prospect, uh, left the University of Tennessee football program to become a police officer, happily married, family man. He was shot in the line of duty. And the guy who shot your father was involved in multiple burglaries, multiple home invasions. You said he was indicted on how many felonies? 14. And he was allowed to leave jail on his own recognizance. He was injured in a shootout. And he was allowed to leave state he was actually served in the hospital, so he never even spent a day in jail. So he was served with a, a warrant for his arrest and that 14-count felony indictment, and then a judge actually um, signed paperwork that was delivered to him in the hospital, Jay, that released him on his own OR, his own recognizance. I, I've never in my life heard of that. I, I've seen people that were injured, there were suspects that were served and they were given OR, recent overcognizance for lesser charges. I've never heard of anybody surviving shooting a police officer and being uh, allowed on own recognizance and then being let loose to go wherever they wanted. No, never have I. I mean, I've actually, you know, done a lot of research to see if there's any, you know, case out there. I'm even close, close, you know, to ours and you know, I I've yet to find anything. So he drove off a lot um, in our last segment, as I'd begun to say, and he never returned to Columbus again to stand trial. So that's the point at which we would get calls through the years because he would get, you know, picked up and apprehended in, in other states. He had, you know, gone on to continue his career in crime and his, you know, his bailiwick being residential, you know, burglaries. And he was never brought back to Ohio to stand trial. That's correct. So, you and, know, but he was arrested passed, in other states for, for serious crimes, and they were notified. Correct. Well, Ohio was notified, you know, and uh, of an apprehension in Lexington four years after he'd shot my dad, and every I was dotted, T was crossed, and 
we had a governor's extradition warrant with officers assigned to go get him. The $64,000 question remains, Jay, why nobody went to pick him up? And, you know, yourself, you know, having been a sergeant, these jurisdictions, they can only keep people for so long, right. you know, when, when a state doesn't come to, to, you know, to pick up it's prisoner. So they had to release him. And then, you know, on he would go and commit more crimes. He just traveled the whole country. But this guy wasn't like trying to actively elude. He didn't take on another identity. He wasn't trying to avoid being arrested. He was getting well, arrested and doing time elsewhere and he well, should have been extradited. Well, actually, no, he really wasn't doing time. They would just release him, you know, uh, when Ohio wouldn't come, you know, and get him. So, no, he, 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 he was not doing time. Eventually, he was apprehended in Connecticut in 1978, and for some reason, the state of Ohio nollied that extradition warrant. For those, you know, um, audience members that don't know what that means, it just means that, a, you know, a lawyer, a prosecutor, a judge nullified that extradition warrant in, in Connecticut. So... Ohio did not apparently want to go pick him up and deal with him anymore. They had had enough of him. But, you know, I mean, here, here's the thing. You know, they, they had, you know, every opportunity to arrest him at the point at which he shot my father, committed those burglaries, and they failed to do so. And then they failed to apprehend him in Lexington. And by the time 1978 rolled around, six years later after shooting my father, um, I think they were just sick and tired of hearing about him. So they just didn't do anything. They no one in the state, no one in Columbus, no one in the police department said, let's go get this guy and make him stay in trial. That, that, that's absolutely 100% correct. I, I read somewhere online, by the way, if you do a Google search for Officer Nikki Cooper, that's N-I-K-I Cooper, Columbus, Ohio, you'll, you'll see news reports. And one of them I saw was where a judge said uh, you, they couldn't prosecute him because of time or, or many different reasons. And well, you were quoted in there your frustration level must have just been insane. It was. It was at an all-time high. Um, what what happened was after my dad passed, I decided that, you know, I wanted to find out why he'd become a changed individual. I mean, it's not really difficult to figure out that, you know, what he went through had, had changed him as a person. And again, as I mentioned earlier in another segment, it overflowed into our family. But I wanted to figure out what happened that night and why his perpetrator had never been brought to justice. And so I began a search and destroy mission. And, you know, I uncovered, you know, all of these things that had occurred. And then the interesting thing is, is that I came across an arrest warrant that was still active. Because in 1972, the interesting part about our statutes here in Ohio, Jay, is that there were no statute of limitations on felony charges or felony warrants. So that gave the prosecutor here the ability to pick up that warrant and say, okay, we're going to go forward with prosecuting him now since he had never been prosecuted in the preceding 40 years, except that we had to go through special proceedings before a judge to determine whether or not he had been legally prejudiced. And the judge found that he had been when the state of Ohio failed in two attempts to pick him up on those extradition warrants, and that therefore his right, his constitutional right to a speedy trial had been violated. Oh, because someone didn't do their job. Correct. This is so aggravating. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm yeah, using, really. I'm really watching how I speak. You know, I want to defend all police all the time. I, and I, I know, and people that have been listening for a while know that people are human, they make mistakes. And sure. I used to always tell, especially as a sergeant, if you make a mistake doing your job, that's one thing. Just don't do stupid things trying to avoid doing your job or trying to cover up something that could easily be explained. And by the way, corruption and criminal behavior never tolerated. But it's hard for me to find the words to discuss how this guy who shot your dad, who was a police officer, and, and not a little bodunk town, that no, it's a, a, a large-sized department with a good reputation, that the guy was never apprehended and never forced to serve trial. It's not like it was a whodunit. They knew who did it. He, they had a arrest warrant for him. Well, absolutely. And not only that, Jay, he just passed. Uh, six months ago, and he... The scumbag you know, who shot your dad? Yes, he, he outlived my father by 20 years. Well, I'm sorry about that part, but I, I, I'm a firm believer in heaven and hell, and if you ask me, oh. I already know where he is. Oh, I, no, no, absolutely. But with that said, he had been in the military, apparently, and so he received a full, full, you know, military honors funeral, but we can't get you know, honor guard services for some of our law enforcement officers with all these, you know, suicides and so forth that are taking place, which makes me absolutely crazy. I agree with you. And that that's a, a topic for an entirely different show. As a matter of fact, it I've is, had it so is. many people on talking about that. I'm, yeah, I had to say it because, I, you know, it's pervasive right, you know, right now in the law enforcement community, and it just makes me crazy to think that this individual got you know, and received full, you know, full honor guard military funeral, and he shot a police officer, and he victimized 10 really good, hard-working families. The other thing about this conversation that needs to be noted is we make a big deal in this country, and rightfully so. For our, our law enforcement officers, the kid in line of duty, we, uh, we honor them. We promise to never forget them. We promise to take care of their families. However, oftentimes, officers who survive, like your dad did, they're forgotten, and their families yeah. are, are not taken care of. The officers yeah. are don't get justice. They don't get taken care of the way they should. And uh, yeah. quite frankly, far too many of them wish they had not survived. That's true. That's absolutely true. And I can tell you um, with 100% you know, factual knowledge, my dad went through the, the, those issues a few times. I think he had, he had wished that he had never survived. It had been such a nightmare to him personally, to our family, to his career. Lori, I do appreciate you coming on the show and talking about such a difficult topic. And thank you my for pleasure. all of you done to try to bring that guy to justice. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. For great news articles, past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today Show podcast, download our free app, and much more, go to our website, letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. As click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. On behalf of everyone associated with the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.